turn, if you would, to John chapter 4 while I'm getting set up here. Good morning, everybody. Everybody sleepy? Is this raining and stuff? Do we got to get up and like get our wiggles out? You know? <laughs> what we just sung about the gospel and what Jesus does to save a person and what that does in your soul is it produces a thanksgiving, a gratitude, a sense in which you recognize the great gift of God that you have been given in Christ to be redeemed, to have the wrath you deserve to bear on your own head, satisfied by Jesus' death, burial and resurrection for you. And to get in touch with the living God and be right with Him and be whole again and experience what true worship is all about. And it's my prayer that as we approach the Lord right now, that our hearts would just be opened up to what the Lord has for us in His Word, that He might produce that sweet, true, genuine, vital worship that satisfies our soul, the worship of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize that we, uh, we long uh, every week to gather together as your people. Because when we gather, Lord, you manifest your presence in a unique and special and powerful way. We can worship you anywhere on the planet because of Jesus. But Lord, when your people come together, your born-again, spirit-filled, redeemed people come together. Lord, you manifest yourself in such a powerful, poignant way that even unbelievers present have to say, surely God is among us. And so we pray, Father, that your spirit would come upon this moment, that you would come upon our hearts, that you would come upon uh, the realities of what, what we've brought into the room today, Lord, heaviness on our heart, discouragement, a sense of lostness, perhaps, a sense of nagging discouragement. Maybe we've come in and we just need an encouragement from your word. Or maybe we need new life in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would work upon your word and that you would wield it into our hearts, Lord, to give us a thousand different medicines for our soul and only ways that you as the great physician know that we need. So I pray, Father, that you would help me to get out of the way and Lord, that you would guard my mouth, that you would fill me with the words that you want to say, not the, th the things, Lord, that I may potentially have prepared, but Lord, what the Spirit wants to bring in this moment, we pray that you would bless your word. We pray that you would open us up to it. And we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. So we've been several weeks reading through John chapter 4. We've been encountering this woman at the well who encounters Jesus. And Jesus approaches her in his physical thirst, in his real human need. But before the account is over, 
This woman's spiritual, much deeper need is being met by Jesus. And we're meant to get a picture as all of the Gospel of John is aimed at helping us understand who Jesus is as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that by understanding who He is, we might believe on Him and have life in His name. Spiritual life. The only life that can satisfy. And so, as Jesus kind of leaves His physical need behind to tend to this woman's spiritual need, we see a picture of grace entering in to broken hurting, struggling people's lives, right? Like this woman's just utterly destitute. She's an outcast. Nobody wants to talk to her. In fact, she's avoided everybody she could that day to get some water. And Jesus comes up to her with love and offers her what she truly needs. And you can kind of identify with this woman at the well. Right? Perhaps you in here, you're thinking like, I can identify with her. I, I, I understand what it means to be broken. I understand what it means to be wanting. I understand what it means to be chasing happiness in places that are like, they're good, right? It's good to have the love of a man, right? If you're a woman, it's good to experience true love. But when you make that God, when you make that ultimate, you destroy everything. When you make that the thing that you're going to build your life around and the thing that's going to save you and the thing that's going to sort you out, it crushes you. And she realizes, I can't get happy this way. And I've got to keep coming back and back and back again. But the well is drying up. And she doesn't know any other way. Maybe you can identify that with that, right? Like, I, like I've been trying things and it's not working. And I'm just going at it and I, I don't know how to do anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. I'm wrecking my life. I don't know how to do anything else. And I'm just reaching for stuff to try to satisfy. Maybe there are even good things on, on, on a certain level. What this woman is showing us is a picture of worship gone wrong. She has a worship problem. And she's going to show us through her spiritual thirst that we were made for worship, but we were made to worship God and only He can satisfy us. We were made to put Him as the ultimate and if we try to drink up the stuff of this world and make that the thing that we build our lives around, we're utterly empty in the end. Because you can lose your job. You can lose your spouse. You can lose loved ones. You can lose everything that you build your life around on a horizontal level. But if your treasure... And your worship 
and the thing that your life is about is God, it can never be taken and it will truly satisfy. Right? Sometimes we don't realize that when we say worship, we mean worthship. We're assigning worth and ultimate value to something. And so the idea is saying that God is supremely ultimate in my life. God is worthy of praise. He's worthy to build my life around. He's worthy of my ultimate allegiance. And Jesus is walking up to this woman at the well, and he's helping her see she has a worship problem because she was made for God. And only God is big enough to deal with her heart. Only God is big enough to center her life. Only God is big enough to give her the things she's longing for in all of these other places. And the Bible reminds us that we have a worship problem, right? The Bible reminds us that every one of us, every one of us in this room today, has gone astray in our worship. The prophet Isaiah said so long ago, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we've gone astray in our worship. We've gone astray in our affections. We've gone astray in our allegiances. And even if we're Christians in here, sometimes we can go astray. And we can make something else the center. And we start unraveling when we do. Isaiah 59.2 reminds us what's happening when we worship all the wrong things. He says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that you do not hear or so that he does not hear. Your sins have made a separation between you and God. So when the worship goes astray. And remember, the Bible talks about sin as falling short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, right? So you, you fall short of giving God the glory he's due when you go somewhere else. For ultimate satisfaction, ultimate devotion, ultimate centering of your life. And so this story becomes very, very near to where we live. Like this isn't just like, oh, this is a nice story and it's like tucked away in the Bible. And oh, we all know this story. Isn't it great how Jesus comes to this woman who's an outcast? This is how God comes to us. This is how Christ comes to us. This is how grace comes into your life. God shows you that you're in a, you're, you've got a worship problem, that, that your life is unraveling, that even the stuff that you think, right, to build your life around might be a good thing, right? I want to be successful in my career. I want to be the best farmer in the area. I want to be a family man. I want to raise children who, 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 who turn out good. 
You start building your whole world around those things and you start watching it crumble. Because it's not meant to sustain you. You were meant for God. And when you get that worship problem solved by Jesus. Then you start beginning to live. As God intended you as a true worshiper. The father. We're going to find out from Jesus here in this chapter. The father is seeking true worshipers. We have a seeking God. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Lost in false worship. Lost in other things. Read with me this account with fresh eyes. And I want us to start from verse 7. And then we'll pick up where we started. Or where we left off last week. Verse 7 of chapter 4. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said to, to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty Again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or come have to come here to draw water. So that first section is all about living water, all about satisfying your spiritual thirst. And then. Jesus puts his finger on her sin and her immorality, right? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for our salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, 
I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Did you see what happened there in the story? Everything transitioned from living water to this woman's sin and brokenness. And Jesus supernaturally knowing her better than she knows herself and uncovering her sin and uncovering her rebellion against God. And all of a sudden, she brings up the issue of worship, which is not really a rabbit trail at all because it was a problem for her. And that's the first thing we see is that there was a worship problem that she was putting her finger on. She, she was worshiping all the wrong things in all the wrong ways. Look at verse 19 again. She says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That's her response to Jesus just laying her soul bare. And then she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And you might read that and be like, man, she is dodging the issue. Like, Jesus just said, you've been married five times and the dude you're with, you're living with in sexual immorality. But do we worship on this mountain or on the other mountain? And like she's getting all spiritual all of a sudden. This woman was religious, right? She was very religious. But I don't read it quite like that. I think... Jesus was revealing something supernatural to her. She was recognizing that he was a prophet. And if he's a prophet of God, and if he's somebody who has uh, intuitions from God and revelation from God, then perhaps he has the answer to settle the question once and for all between the Samaritans and the Jews. What are you going to do about this worship thing? Right? Because the Samaritans said worship was supposed to be done on Mount Gerizim. Not in Jerusalem. The Samaritans are the ones who cut all of the Old Testament out of their Bibles, but Moses' law. So the only place that they saw as sacred to worship was Mount Gerizim. Everything was like Mount Gerizim. That's where Moses pronounced blessings. You don't have the history of Israel. You don't have David becoming the greatest king of Israel. And David having a heart for God. And David having a heart to build a temple in Jerusalem. And God's like, no, I can't do it through you. You're, you're a man of blood. You've been shed in blood by your warfare. And all of the campaigns that I led you in against the enemies of Israel. It's going to have to be your son, Solomon. And then Solomon would build the temple and it would be the place of worship. It would be the place where they would have the Holy of Holies. It would be the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And where the sacrifices were done. And where the whole sacrificial system was centered. Where you would slaughter a lamb for the sins of the people. So is it Jerusalem? Or is it Mount Gerizim, Jesus? 
Now, I don't think she was in his face like that, but I think she was really asking. I know I need to worship. You can be really religious and really messed up, right? Like, she's really religious. She's worshipped on Mount Gerizim. She's also a serial adulterer. And Jesus is helping her see that she has a worship problem. Do you sense the gravity of what's going on? It's like, have I been living my whole life wrong? Have I been worshiping God wrong? Am I even worshiping the right God? Jesus wants to go so much deeper with her than where to worship, right? Jesus wants to go so much deeper. It's not really about where you worship anymore, he's going to say, but about who you worship. It's not about the place you worship, but the person you worship. She doesn't see it. It's just this traditional sort of external thing. Like, like are we going to go up to the temple? Are we going to come to church and stuff? Are we going to go to church in, in Smithfield or LaGrange? No, you go where Jesus shows up. It's essentially what he's going to say in some very interesting ways. But this woman was simultaneously very religious and very immoral. And we see that a lot through the Bible, right? The Pharisees are, are, are all messed up. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He's this dude who's supposed to be like the spiritual teacher of Israel. And he's coming to Jesus by night asking questions. Jesus is like, you, you're, you're blind. You need to be born again. You need the Spirit to come make you alive because you're dead towards God. In your sin. And all your religious stuff going on, that means beans to the Lord. Because your heart's not right in the sight of God. Consider the Apostle Paul before his conversion. He's killing Christians in the name of serving God. And he was all up in the temple worshiping God every Sabbath. He was in the synagogue every Sabbath. Listen, y'all, you can get real close to Christianity. You can get real close to worship and be lost. Because your worship is not in spirit and truth. You haven't been born again. You haven't had new life come inside of you. Pre-Christian Paul had no problem with the place of worship, but his worship was all wrong. Why? Because his heart was wrong. He was lost in self-righteous hypocrisy. He thought he didn't even need God. Like, I'll handle this law thing. Like, I'm a law keeper. I'm a rule follower. I will do it. I'll make sure. Maybe you're a rule follower in here, right? Like, oh, I'm just going to be good enough. And then when I die and I stand before God, it's going to be about like, how did, those, how did the scales go? 
right? That ain't going to work. The Apostle Paul (laughs) did a lot of righteous things and his heart was so far from God, he ended up killing Christians. He was broke just like this woman. This woman's enslaved to sexual immorality and she's going up to Mount Gerizim. So you can be lost in your religion or you can be lost in licentiousness. Either way, you need a redeemer. Either way, you need this worship problem to be solved. And ultimately, that's what this woman needed. She needed to have her heart sorted out. Now, Paul tells us what is going on when we pursue sin rather than worship God. He tells us what this worship problem looks like in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. I want you to hear it because it has everything to do with this which mountain question, right? Paul says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because, why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They made an exchange. The true God for idols. The true God for the worship of creation. The true God for the worship of, in our modern world of self. Oh, we got an American idol in our day. It's the idol of yourself. I want to be on the throne of my life. I want the world to revolve around me. I want people to revolve around me. I want worship to center on me. How many of y'all know that'll mess up a relationship real quick? How many of y'all know that'll mess up a, a, a marriage real quick? God is calling us out of idolatry into true worship. And the only hope for our country is to cast off the idolatry of self and anything else that gets in the place of God. Repent and come back to the living God. When the people of God humble themselves or when people humble themselves... We'll talk about the people of God in a second, but when people humble themselves before the living God, they turn from their sins and they seek His face. Then they find out how gracious our God really is. When they turn from their sin and they see Jesus for who who He is, oh, that's where the action's at. That's when revival comes. 
when people get on their knees before the living God. So this woman and this question of mountains is very, very important. And Jesus is about to give her the straight scoop. All right? Verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman. Now that's like saying ma'am. Okay? He's not like, woman, come on, you check yourself. <laughs> he's, he's saying, ma'am, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, if you look back to verse 20, you got to see some, some, some irony here, right? This woman is saying, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you, but you say that we worship in Jerusalem. Like you Jews say we worship in Jerusalem. Right? And now Jesus is saying in verse 21, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Like, like, like you're, you're looking to Jacob, you're looking to Abraham, you're looking to all these people. She was really into the fathers. Jesus is like, you need to be about the Father. And what's happening is the worship is not going to be on that mountain and it ain't going to be in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. It's not going to be located in a particular place, but a particular person. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Father sends His Son to take on flesh, to be the place where you come to worship the Father. Doesn't matter where you are. You come through Jesus and you get connected to God. And that's a radical thing to think about. I got saved in a military barracks room from a life of drugs, alcohol, sexual immorality, and I was not seeking God. Somebody came with the gospel, started telling me about this Jesus who came from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for my sins, to rise up out of the grave three days later, and that I could have life in Him. And I would have laughed at people prior to that moment. But that day, I was listening. Because God was laying hold of me. He, the Father's seeking people to worship Him in spirit and truth. He was pursuing me, and He might be pursuing you. He might be pursuing you in here today to come to Jesus for the first time for rescue. He might be pursuing you in here today because you've got your worship priorities all messed up. And Jesus is not number one in your life. And He's calling you back. 
He's calling you back. He's like, it's not going to be on mountains. It's not going to be about a mountain. It's going to be about Jesus. This woman was worshiping what she didn't know. That's what happens when you cut half the Bible out or like three quarters of it. Right? How thick is your Bible? How thick is your Bible? It's like, oh, I only do this New Testament stuff, you know. Jesus came. So this other thing is like, as old school. Careful, right? Like, you could get stuck like the Samaritans, not having the whole picture. Right? We need the whole picture. She worshiped what she didn't know. Jesus is far from saying, like, uh, it doesn't matter how y'all have been doing it in the past. Like, no, he's like, you were into idolatry. You were not worshiping truly. Then he says, we worship what we know, meaning the Jews worship what we know. Then he says this bit. For salvation is from the Jews. Like, what's going on there? I mean, we already know that it's possible for the Jews to, to mess up, right? You read the whole Old Testament and they're committing idolatry like every other page, right? They're forsaking God every other page. Hmm. That's why Jeremiah could say stuff like, I've got <laughs> two, two things against you. You've forsaken the living God who's the fountain of living waters, and you've hewed out for yourself broken cisterns, and you've went after all these idols. Like, Jews were messing up too, right? But they had the Scriptures and the covenants, and it's through the Jews that God would bring the Messiah into the world. And it was in Jerusalem that was the center of worship that God had prescribed, and the, the Samaritans were missing it. And Jesus is standing before this woman and helping her see the importance of a very big transition in salvation history that was taking place right before her eyes. In this business of, it's no longer about a place, it's about a person. It's no longer about coming to a holy place or a holy temple, but it's about coming to the Father through the One He sent. It's about coming to the one who's the new temple. Whoa. Where did he say that? Back in chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus, talking to the Jews, says to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said... It's taken 46 years to build the temple, this temple, and you will raise it up in three days, huh? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Somebody said it. Jesus was like, I'm the new temple. I'm the new place you come. I'm the new 
temple and I'm going to give my life to purchase redemption for all who come through me to the Father. So anybody in this room can come through Jesus to the Father if you turn away from your sins, you turn away from your idols, you turn away from the broken cisterns, you turn away from worshiping other things to the living God through Jesus because He's the new temple. In fact, the temple on Mount Gerizim and the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed within a few centuries. 70 AD, the Romans come in and destroy brick by brick the temple in Jerusalem. Same thing happens to Mount Gerizim. <laughs> so much for the place, right? Well, the person has come. Jesus has come. And having Jewish heritage, I really identify with the blessings of being raised in some of the, the Jewish culture, right? I got to celebrate Passover. I didn't know what it meant. And now that I do know what it means, I'm like, oh, <laughs> Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? So there's great privileges. The Apostle Paul reminds us for being Jewish. Romans 9, 4 he says, they are the Israelites and to them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the worship and the promises and to them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all blessed forever. Amen. Right. They're the nearest to the realities of who Jesus is and the Messiah. And yet so many of them missed it. Most of them missed it. And this woman is getting a lesson in her Bible and the stuff that's missing out of her Bible. Right? Because he gives us the straight, straight scoop. Jesus wants y'all to have the straight scoop, me to have the straight scoop, that he's the place we come to get in touch with God. The third thing we see in this text is that the Father is seeking true worshipers. Worship isn't going to be merely about external conformity, but internal transformation, right? It's not going to be about externals only, but inwardly being transformed and renewed. It's not going to be about stale traditions but new life inside of us. Look at verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. <laughs> What's being said there? Right? Like the time is coming and it's now here with the arrival of Jesus, with the arrival of the Messiah, with this new inauguration of something new happening where salvation can break in. The temple sacrificial system is about to be done away with because the once and for all sacrifice for sinners is about to present himself on a cross as the lamb who was slain. 
for the redemption of a people. Behold, John the Baptist said, the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. You in touch with that? You tasted that redemption? You tasted that, that reality? Because when you taste and see the Lord is good, when you come to Him for redemption, when you come through Him, when you understand what Jesus said when He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Me. And if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Whew, now you're getting into the blessings of salvation. Now you're coming to a place where you're recognizing your need. Now you're ready to embrace a Savior. Now you're ready to come to the One who provides rescue and renewal and creates true worshipers who are not merely going through externals, but have been renewed on the inside. Have you been renewed on the inside? Verse 24 says, God is spirit. And those who worship him will worship in spirit and truth. It's like God, God is immaterial. He's spirit. He doesn't have arms or legs. Right? He's not a man that he should lie. He can be present at every place all at once, all at the same time. Now, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. So when he took on flesh, he was actually located physically in a specific place at a specific, specific time. That's a mystery. Glorious. And it means your redemption if you believe. Because God came down. The Son of God came down. To become the son of man so that the sons and daughters of men might become children of a living God. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus comes to do. That's why Jesus is born in a manger. Let's not keep him in the manger, right? He's going to break out of that manger, grow up as a man, live a perfect life, and die a bloody death on the cross to rescue any who believe so that you can have inside of you new life and the Spirit of God producing in you a true worship, rescuing you from all false worship. And you get in touch with God and there's nothing greater than that. Some, some of you in here are so thirsty for it. You, you don't really believe God can do that. Listen, He planned from all eternity to do it. The Father sent the Son into the world for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's why Jesus said, woman, believe me. Right? The hour of is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth and the Father seeking people. Maybe He's seeking you today. Maybe He's drawing you. Maybe He's calling you out in your sin. Maybe He's calling you out in your need. Maybe you've sensed your brokenness or you've sensed you've been straying from the path. You've been going your own way. All we have strayed. We're like sheep. We've gone our own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel. That's the hope of this passage. That's how to create true worshipers. And verse 25 and 26 simply tell us when the woman brings up the Messiah and says, he's going to tell us everything, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, that's me. 
the guy standing right in front of you? I am. So the question is, what have we done with Jesus? Where are we going? Are we still going to a place instead of a person? Are we still going to other things to satisfy? Other things to be ultimate? Or the main thing? The one thing that is needed? Right? Verse 42 the Samaritans discover that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let me close with this. When I was in the Marine Corps, not only did I get saved, but I got to share the message of Jesus because Jesus so transformed me, right? Like I, I was hating God, hating Christians, doing my own thing, doing drugs in the Marine Corps, drinking heavily in the Marine Corps, in all kinds of immorality. And I was so empty and so lost and so confused. And I kept thinking that's the way to fix it. If God didn't save me, I'd have been dead by 25. That's just where I was at. But the reality is. That when Jesus comes into your life, he transforms you. And when you hear the message of the gospel, it's good news for real sinners, broken sinners. Right? Like, I didn't grow up in church. I grew up hating church. Maybe some of you in here are like squirming because you're in church. It's like, <laughs> I, I get it. I was there. But you know what? Like, God gripped me one day and he exposed the raw nerve center of my sin and my rebellion. I was <clears throat> making a mess of my life. And this Jesus, this, this living water, this well that springs up unto eternal life, this one who can create true worshipers, this one who's the Christ, this one who's the Lamb of God, this one who's the Savior of the world, broke in because somebody told me the gospel. And this woman's going to share with the world this Savior. Perhaps it's time for you to come to Jesus today. Or come back to Him. Or just worship Him whole-souled. Not keeping bits of your life back. Man, I want to see our prayer meetings fill up like psh, we're hungry for Jesus. I'm trying to get up in here on my knees for Jesus. Because there's no better place to be. Let's come before the Lord. And ask Him to do a work in our hearts. Amen. Father, I thank You for this message. I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for the power of the Gospel. I thank You, Lord, that... You are faithful, Lord, even in the midst of um, a broken world where we have a worship problem and we're worshiping all the wrong things. Lord, you awaken people. You're seeking. 
And you sent your son to seek and save that which is lost, and you're calling people to yourself. And maybe there's somebody here today that you've been talking to. You've been talking to them about their sin and their need, and they need to repent and turn to you. And I just pray that you would be moving on their heart even now. I pray, God, that they'd be coming to you. I pray that they would not go into hiding, but, Lord, as you've opened up their hearts, Lord, that they would turn to you and that you would speak to them. And as we're praying, maybe that's you today and you need that kind of help and you want to you, you turn your life over to the Lord. Just raise your hand in the air. I'd love to pray for you. You know God's been speaking to you. He's been dealing with you. He's been so gracious. He just loves you. Just lift your hand in the air. I'd like to pray for you if that's you. Maybe you just need to come back to the Lord. And the Lord's calling you to repent. Or you put other things ahead of Jesus. Just raise your hand in the air. I'd like to pray for you. God bless you. Anybody else? You put something else in front of Jesus. And it's not going well. All right. Father God, I just thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your love. And Lord, even if there are some who didn't raise their hand and they're just realizing, Lord, that I just I need Jesus. Father, I just I just invite them to pray in their hearts right now. Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. And I believe that I need you more than anything else in this world. I want to put you first. And I know you died on the cross for my sins. I know you rose out of the grave three days later. And I just pray that you bring spiritual renewal into my soul. Pray that you bring awakening in my heart. I pray that you would restore that true worship. And Father, I pray that you would do that for all of us. That you would be working in us the realities and the blessings of new life. And Father, I pray that you would breathe on this church. Lord, bring revival. Why not here in Smithfield and in our area to the praise and glory of your name? We thank you in Jesus name. Amen.